1: Get inspired and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on company individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now.
3: Hi there. Thanks for tuning into another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Communications Project Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. I'm happy to introduce my guest today, Andrew Myers, He's the co-founder and CEO of Tech, and he is among the nation's leading innovative LED lighting experts for horticulture and cannabis sectors, and also the co-author of the 2010 Arizona Medical Marijuana Act. On top of that, he's a board member and former executive director of the Arizona Dispensaries Association and co-founder of the Arizona Medical Marijuana Association. You are a busy man, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Oh, I I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, So in addition to everything I said in the introduction, let's get to know you a little bit better. Let's learn about your background and what kind of experiences you had before getting involved in this oh so fun cannabis industry.
0: Yeah, so I got into the cannabis industry from, you know, the policy side. Um, I was a a staff member for MPP. um, And I, you know, prior to that, I had been a mainstream political consultant. Um, And so, you know, I I got into cannabis, um, basically, by being hired into it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was running, you know, mainstream political campaigns, you know, from the school board level all the way up to, you know, Congress and Senate. Um, And then in in 2009, uh, I had the great good fortune of uh, being able to connect with MPP um, and become one of the uh, co-authors and then the campaign manager for the the Arizona Medical Marijuana Act in 2010. Um, And that really, I mean, it's not a stretch to say that that changed my life. Um, You know, I became very passionate about the industry, uh, very passionate about the stories of the patients um, whom we were representing, you know, within the campaign uh, and really felt like uh, this was an opportunity for me to, you know, make a really positive uh, societal impact by, you know, trying to help bring some uh, professionalization and sophistication to, you know, kind of the early, you know, cannabis rights movement and and then also the industry, you know, after the, uh, the election was concluded
3: yeah absolutely marijuana policy project is such a great organization i've been following their work for the you know 20 25 years uh, or longer gosh time flies mm-hmm. but the uh the group's been around for sure and uh, you know i'm i was reading your bio and i saw that and, and you mentioned your former political consulting work um to prominent policymakers. can we talk about that for just a moment
0: yeah, sure. I mean, and I, my, my whole life has been a series of really, you know, wonderful coincidences. Um, you know, when I was a, a junior in college, uh, I, you know, again, had the good fortune to, to bump into Barack Obama, you know, very early, um, kind of in his political arc. Uh, he had just decided to run for Senate um, in Illinois, and uh, he was really an unknown, you know, state senator. Um, you know, within Illinois at that point and running Mm -hmm. against um, much more well-known candidates. I mean, including a a two-term statewide elected official whose father was the most powerful alderman in Chicago and had all of the union support. Um, But he came to my campus. Uh, I went to Bradley University in central Illinois. Um, And, you know, I went to a talk with him and there were maybe 12 people in the room. Um, But, you know, he really struck me as a, you know, incredibly genuine guy. And I, you know, signed up to volunteer for his campaign. And, Volunteered through the primary and, uh, you know, he, he won that election, you know, a little bit surprisingly for a lot of folks on the primary side and then uh, was able to um, work with him through the general election. Um, had a short stint in South Dakota uh, to get a woman named Stephanie Herseth Sandlin elected. She was the first uh, pro-choice Democrat elected statewide in South Dakota in history. Um, and then, you know, was able to work for uh, Janet Napolitano. Um, after that, you know, who was the governor of Arizona at the time. And then she went on to become um, Homeland Security Secretary um, in the Obama administration after he was elected president. Um, And it was, I got to play, you know, a very minor role in kind of helping to bring them together. Like I was, you know, I remember having dinner with the governor one time and she was, you know, asking me, you know, so is this this Barack Obama guy as legit as he really seems to be? And I'm like, yeah, he absolutely is. And then it was, it was cool to see her go on to become a cabinet secretary with him and, and endorse him relatively early in his candidacy for president. So um, yeah, I've been very fortunate, you know, from a a relatively early age to be, you know, surrounded by people who um, were ordinary folks who did big things. Um, and, And I think that, you know, that was an inspiration to me, you know, that you know we can as individuals really make a big impact. and I, it's something that I've you know carried with me throughout the rest of my life. That's great. That's awesome. you You
3: really had a seat at the table there in the political process and we're able to uh, make change to to affect change. That's amazing. And then, as you mentioned, you got very involved with uh, working with marijuana Policy project and doing work on Arizona's. Medical program. Uh, let's jump back into that for a minute, um, sure. and and move forward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, after the the campaign, um, which uh, was very very close. I mean, we we passed the 2010 medical marijuana initiative in Arizona with 50.1 percent of the vote. Um, mm. It was it was a, a very very close election. Yeah. Um, we were actually behind on election night, um, and that was a every other um, marijuana related ballot issue um, that year failed. Um, it yeah. was a big wave year uh, for the Republican Party. Um, Democratic turnout was down um, yeah. in the midterms after Obama was elected. And so, I mean, that was the year that the the California um, adult use initiative failed. Um, and there were a couple mm-hmm. of other adult use and medical questions that failed across the country. So, I mean, we were the lone success that year, um, you know, and, and doing it in a, which at the time was really a deep red state um, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's become more purple over time. Um, but, you know, that was a, a big success. But we were fighting an uphill battle in implementation um, after the fact because uh, Janet Napolitano had, had left the, uh, the organization or has, had left the governorship, and uh, we had a very conservative governor. So, you know, implementation was very difficult. Um, but after we were able to get the program up and running, which took a couple of years, um, I took a position um, with the um, Arizona Medical Marijuana Association, which was the precursor to the Arizona Dispensaries Association, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and, and then served as the ex- executive director of that group, um, which kind of led to Progrotech. Um, you know, at that point, um, you know, 2012, 2013 um, was kind of the early adopter phase for people that were looking for energy efficient lighting technology um, on the cultivation side. And unfortunately, most people were having major failures. Um, the technology that was in the market at that point was not succeeding. Um, people were seeing massive reductions in yield. You know, when they mm. were moving away from the legacy technologies, um, and so it became a big deal for us because uh, we realized how unsustainable the industry was in its current. Uh, format, you know, using these thousand watt high pressure sodium bulbs and having these, uh, facilities that had, you know, the power consumption density of like a data center. Um, and it was really the definition of unsustainable. And I mean, we knew that we needed to change the way that we were operating, but we needed to be able to, you know, paint a path forward for cultivators to do the right thing while doing right by their business. Like, you know, it it needs to be a, you know, a dollars and cents decision. And it's all about at the end of the day, providing, you know, low cost medication to patients. And, you know, you need to get your production costs down to be able to make that happen. Right. Um, So, you know, the LED um, scene at that time, like I said, was, you know, Rife with failure, and so you know, we decided to take a proactive role of you know really representing the voice of the customer, you know, representing the voice of our clients, you know, the growers, um, you know, to these companies to try to uh, you know take this emerging technology and, and really make it work for the industry. Um, and then you know, a couple of iterations later, it ended up becoming a company um, on our own, and that was kind of the birth of ProGrotech.
3: Light bulb moment. Sorry, I had to say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great. So so now you're the co-founder and CEO of ProGrow Tech. And as we're in our last minute or so here, uh, what, what year did you found the company? And tell me more about what's going on day to day with your company.
0: Yeah, sure. So we we founded the company in late 2015. Um, and for the first couple of years, it was really a research and development outfit. Mm. Um, and, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we didn't want to be another snake oil salesman that was trying to push, you know, not ready for primetime technology on folks. And so oh, good. <laughs> you know, we're totally right. Yeah. So I mean, making sure that, uh, what we were selling was actually working was really important to us. And so before we were actively marketed our product at all, you know, we had a very robust data set, you know, showing that you really can out yield HBS by using LEDs and save 50% of energy at the same time. Um, and so That's really been our last couple of years is just, you know, spreading the gospel of LED, um, you know, helping people cut their costs and improve their quality um, and really showing them how to do it. You know, more than a lighting company, we really look at ourselves as being a solutions provider. Um, And because we've lived it, you know, we we, we are our team. We are cultivators. We are, you know, cannabis business owners. Um, We understand what it takes to succeed in this industry and, um, you know, how to give our clients the tools to do just that.
3: Great. Are you serving the entire United States or are you focusing on certain markets?
0: Uh, Entire United States, um, entirety of North America, um, really. And then we uh, we do business internationally as well. Um, We've been seeing uh, a huge growth in the European market. You know, we get uh, inquiries from Spain, Switzerland, Italy, Germany, the UK. Um, And then even farther afield than that, you know, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, um, you know, it's really becoming a global industry. um, And it's really exciting to be able to be a part of that, you know, on the technology development side and, you know, being able to make the industry more sustainable and, uh, you know, really just uh, be better stewards of our environment and, you know, be able to provide better quality medication to patients at the same time.
3: Yeah, that's really fantastic. So it sounds like your passport is all up to date, and, and <laughs> maybe, maybe you get to do a little international travel on on behalf of the cannabis industry. How fun!
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's uh, unfortunately for me. I've a uh, you know I've got not unfortunately. I've I've got a young family. I have a six year old, a, a four year old, and a and a baby on the way in December. Aww. So it uh, yeah. The, 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 travel is, a uh, is bittersweet. Um, I mean, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to, you know, travel around and, and meet different people and see these emerging markets and, you know, new ideas and, you know, new approaches to old problems and, Um, But, you know, I I live in the most beautiful place in the world, I think, here in Flagstaff, Arizona, and it's always wonderful to come home.
3: Awesome. Great. Well, you can send me to Germany or France anytime you like, all right, (laughs) on your behalf. Okay, we're going to take our first commercial break, and we'll be right back to chat more with Andrew from Tech. Stay tuned.
1: NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors.
0: Duck, Rob.
2: That cancer is preventable.
0: The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: natural substances produce the results that CBD is producing in the animals that we are testing on. It's A Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio.
1: Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany, with NCIA, and we're speaking with Andrew Myers, the co-founder and CEO of ProGrow Tech. So let's jump into our conversation here. Let's talk about really exciting things like taxes. So, (laughs) (laughs) cannabis cultivators, as we know, are subject to what's called 280E of the IRS tax code, meaning we can't take normal business deductions, so every penny counts for these businesses. So, the idea is we want to do things better, faster, cheaper, keep costs down, just like you said earlier in the show, so that you can pass down that low-cost product to people who need this medicine. So... Let's talk about advice you might have on how operators can make the cultivation facilities themselves operate more efficiently efficiently, um, without sacrificing that quality.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is... Full disclosure, obviously I'm biased. You know, I I run an LED lighting company. Um, but Fair. you know, the, the 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 reason that we you know got into this space is that you know the, the LED lighting technology is really the the gateway to be able to grow in a more efficient manner. Um, you know, not only are the fixtures themselves um, much more efficient, but they're the form factor, um, the fact that they're very large um, in terms of horizontal coverage, you know, canopy coverage, um, but very thin um, in terms of vertical size, um, allows them, I mean, they're, they're ideal for vertically racked cultivation, which is mm-hmm. really the future, um, and the way to be able to get, you know, the, the maximum yield and maximum quality for, you know, the least amount of cost. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, our tagline at ProGrotech is think cubically, um, and that's really what LEDs allow you to do is look at a warehouse space and, and see it as a three-dimensional space rather than um, a two-dimensional space where you're hanging lights from the ceiling and you have one one layer in a large air gap um, between the lights and your canopy. You know, we construct facilities using vertical racks um, with our lights mounted within six to 12 inches of the mature canopy height. Um, and we're able to get, you know, two, three, you know, even four times the amount of canopy um, that you would be able to to get into uh, a traditional space using high pressure sodium um, and so economies of scale start coming into play at that point point. Um, mm-hmm. and then the other piece you know besides the led um, and energy efficiency technology is automation i mean that's the other big um, step forward i mean the big cost driver for these facilities, you know, besides energy consumption is labor. Um, And a lot of things have been done by hand, you know, historically in this industry, you know, up to and including just watering plants, Um, but being able to use automated systems, um, you know, fertigation injectors, uh, and, you know, eliminating some of these repetitive tasks. Um, And the trend is really towards, you know, instead of, you know, in the old days, it was, you know, a, a really labor intensive farm environment, and you had a large number of relatively lowly paid employees Um, but the new model is larger facilities smaller teams you know on a on a relative basis um, and people that are more technicians you know folks that are higher paid you know more sustainable employment within the industry Um, and that is something that you know it's not eliminating jobs at this point in any way um, because the the number of you know genuinely experienced cultivation folks in the industry right now is very small. Um, you know, people that have been in large-scale facilities, you know, there haven't been very many of them historically, um, but there are a ton of them being built right now. Um, and they need to be staffed. And so, you know, the folks that have, you know, that degree of experience are really in demand. Um, And being able to create an environment where, you know, people that have experience um, can get paid what they're worth, um, and can, you know, get away from doing these, you know, very menial, uh, repetitive tasks, um, and, you know, really um, become managers of more advanced systems, um, and have more, uh, kind of control over the environment using automation and scheduling so I mean those those things combined I mean energy efficient technologies I mean the other thing too' I'll, I'll, the, the three kind of major components of a cultivation operation are lighting um, you know HVAC um, and then the fertigation systems and you know on the 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 HVAC side the you know the the, the heating um, Ventilation and air conditioning component. Um, no heating in a, in a cultivation environment. All air conditioning, um, but using um, chiller systems, like using industrial grade, you know, water chiller systems instead of the more traditional commercial mini splits. Um, because you know those things are not designed to run 24 hours a day mm. um they're a big maintenance hog they cost a lot more um over time in energy consumption and maintenance uh so a lot of it is you know needing to spend a little bit more on equipment up front to be able to save money in the long term um and that's really what the legal market has allowed for us to do is people can make Decisions, you know, that I'm going to spend a little bit more up front, but I'm going to save money in the long term. And they know that their facility is going to be there five years from now because they're in a legal structure. I mean, when you're growing in the gray or black market and there's the risk of being shut down on the horizon, it's really difficult to make, you know, large investments in technology.
1: And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that
0: for the folks that have been, you know, kind of the OGs that have been around for quite a while, you know, that's a big philosophical shift, um, certainly.
3: Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, and and I do appreciate you bringing up the, um, the the idea that there were more jobs, but at lower pay or skill level. And now we're becoming more sophisticated as an industry that we are able to offer higher skilled, higher paying jobs for for these cultivation facilities. Awesome. So. Um, l- let's talk a bit about the energy efficiency. You're talking about running machines 24-7 and things like that. So I, I know the impact of our carbon footprint in order to grow all this cannabis is something that's on our mind. So there's, there's a challenge for cultivators to balance the growing techniques and equipment and technology and methods while also being conscious of how much power is being used to do that among other energy efficiency issues so i'm curious what you're seeing there as we're kind of navigating this energy efficiency puzzle
0: sure i mean and the good news for indoor cultivation is it's only getting better right i mean i think that there is a kind of false um opposition, you know, between indoor and outdoor cultivation and a lot of people listening to this will say, you know, you don't have any problems with energy consumption when you're growing outdoors and you can use the power of the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth of it is, is that, you know, in the long term, indoor cultivation is actually much more sustainable. Um, You know, LEDs are getting more efficient all the time. Um, Solar and wind, uh, you know, power generation technologies are getting more efficient all the time. Battery technology is improving all of the time. Um, The thing that is the difficulty in an outdoor environment With cultivation of cannabis or or food or otherwise is the water consumption issue Mm. and it takes an absolutely epic amount of water to be able to grow outdoor crops i mean particularly a very water intensive flowering crop like cannabis Um, the the water efficiency of indoor cultivation is incredible Um, and so that's why we're so intensely focused on reducing that energy consumption component um, because reducing the energy consumption component Um, And using, you know, renewables to be able to provide that energy, you know, on the indoor cultivation side, um, you know, not only does it completely change the paradigm related to cannabis cultivation, um, but it also changes the paradigm related to the growth of food, um, which is really what Um, I mean in growing growing cannabis and you know being able to provide medication to people is a really wonderful thing um, And a wonderful aim in and of itself Um, But you know beyond that the technologies that we're developing right now are really the things that are going to guarantee Food security globally into the future, you know, it allows us to grow year-round anywhere on the planet um, in In a highly efficient and sustainable way. So I mean this is obviously an ongoing um, challenge, um, but we're you know really excited to be a part of that and you know driving that efficiency forward. Um, and you know you look at the you know cost per pound um, for a lot of the folks that are growing now vertically racked and using LEDs. I mean they're able to produce very high quality indoor grade product for you know less than a dollar a gram, you know, or, or less than you know four hundred four hundred and fifty dollars a pound, um, which is a, a complete sea change you know from where we were when you know just five or seven short years ago you know the the total cost of indoor cultivation were it was not unusual for it to be a thousand or twelve hundred dollars a pound um, wow. and those facilities still exist so you know that allows indoor cultivators to be you know much more competitive obviously within their own markets um but also you know provides a a reasonable cost alternative to this kind of mass produced you know outdoor and greenhouse product that just doesn't have the in most cases, doesn't have the same medicinal benefit or quality of indoor grown.
3: Wow, I, I think it's fascinating. Something you mentioned that the technologies we're developing for cannabis will actually be applied theoretically to other food-related issues across. Uh, the world. That's, that's just fascinating. Um, All right. So we have to take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and talk more with Andrew about some big picture issues before we wrap the show. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: NCIA's cannabis industry voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors.
0: Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart. Where is it? Not that kind of pot.
3: executives and companies in the cannabis
0: industry
2: plant profits only on cannabisradio.com Elevate your everyday with that sugars feeling with the sweet taste of sugars. Add a cup of sugars to your morning coffee Ah how sweet it is! Sus infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits.
1: Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany, and we're wrapping up our discussion in these next few minutes here with Andrew Myers of ProGrowTech. Um, so Andrew, we mentioned earlier that you've, you've been involved in the advocacy and political side of cannabis in addition to the business you're running now doing the lighting. So you're someone who's watched this industry evolve over many, many years. We've seen medical programs and the rules and regulations related to those. And then moving in, uh, starting in 2014, the more sophisticated adult use laws. Um, I, I wonder what lessons are being learned um, from these states like Colorado and even California that were early adopters as well as your state, Arizona, and, and applying them to these newer emerging markets, like in Massachusetts that are finally legalizing and writing new rules. And we're super excited to have the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference in Boston in February, uh, to serve that market. So what, what are your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's very interesting, the progress that we've made. You know, I mean, back when, you know, we, you know, wrote our initiative in 2009, and then, you know, passed the rules package in 2011. um, You know, Arizona was really on the cutting edge of, you know, new policy. Um, And we, you know, learned from the successes and, uh, you know, Things that could have been better, you know, in places like Colorado, you know, that went before us, um, mm-hmm. and you know, for a period of time, you know, Arizona was really the national model of what a well-regulated industry looked like. You know, in states like Massachusetts, you know, used our program as kind of a model in the way that they move forward. But um, I think that we learn, we learn something every time. You know, I mean, and I mm-hmm. and I think that you know the. The, the licensing structure, you know, the, what's, you know, is vertically integrated licenses better or are, you know, having multiple businesses that are in, engaged in, you know, multiple phases of production. I mean, that's kind of been a change. I mean, it used to be kind of vertically integrated was the, mm-hmm. the main model. And now, you know, people can apply for, you know, dispensary and cultivation and distribution licenses separately. Yep,
3: um,
0: And the, you know in other things like the you know massachusetts and california are really on the forefront of um you know having energy efficiency requirements um and you know, obviously having that um uh, also the um the energy rebates and things like that you know are obviously very critical um, so you know the, the policymakers definitely have um an important role to play um in all of this
3: Awesome, yeah, thanks for sharing that perspective. Makes makes a lot of sense and, and I'm optimistic that we will, um, you know, continue to improve with every state that, that uh, legalizes and looks back and learns from others. Um, so just to switch uh, gears just a little bit here in our last couple minutes, uh, NCIA was founded in 2010. So our 10 year anniversary as an organization, which is really cool, is in 2020. So we know where you were 10 years ago. We already talked about that. Uh, I'm I'm curious, where do you see the industry 10 years from now in the year 2030?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think that, you know, by the time that we get to 2030, I mean, I, I, you know, I would expect that, you know, nationwide, you know, legalization would have taken place by then. Um, I mean, I I think that we will still have a structure of, you know, state-based programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that, you know, this idea that there's going to be a national market, you know, where people are going to be buying, you know, wholesale from California to be able to distribute, you know, in Oklahoma, Um, you know, I don't think that that is what is likely to take place. Um, I think that we're probably going to have siloed markets still on the production side. I mean, kind Mm -hmm. of similar to the way the alcohol industry is structured. Um, But I think that, you know, I would see that the, you know, the vast majority of the, the product in the market is probably going to be provided through, um, you know, a, a combination of, you know, low cost production methods, you know, the, you know, 80% of the market will be people that are buying, you know, products within their, um, you know, even convenience stores. I think, you know, places like 7-Eleven and Circle K <laughs> will probably become distributors of, of cannabis products because once the states recognize that the, the societal, Problems associated with cannabis are really non-existent um, and the tax revenue is so beneficial Um, I mean the impetus will be to expand the programs rather than contract them Um, You know and obviously the existing dispensary owners would probably be opposed to that But I think at a certain point you're going to reach um, A point of no return where you know cannabis is really going to become You know fully mainstreamed Um, and it will become a commoditized product You know prices are going to fall Um, precipitously. I mean, there's really no reason why, you know, cannabis should be, you know, a hundred times more expensive than, you know, tomatoes are to grow. You know, there's really not a huge difference between the crops. And so, you know, being able to um, like, you know, adopt these technologies, you know, move cannabis into the mainstream um, and remove a lot of these um, additional regulatory burdens. I mean, I think that there is, uh, that was kind of another evolution on the policymaking side is a lot of states wanted to outcompete themselves, out-compete each other um, with, you know, trying to come up with the, the best good government, you know, regulations for cannabis. And they were, they've they really been over-regulating the industry um, mm-hmm. in many of these new states. Um, and I think that you, you'll see that kind of recede. Um, I think that you'll get, you know, kind of the libertarian conservative type politicians once they get on board with cannabis will be looking at <laughs> that industry yeah. The same way that they do others, you know, where it's like we only you know, want to eliminate costly regulation and want to be able to, you know, provide, you know, products and markets um, to be as free as possible to provide the, the, the best product at the best possible price to people.
3: Yep. Yep. I love it. All right. We have run out of time. Uh, I encourage listeners to take the survey at the cannabis slash podcast survey to let us know how you like the show. And Andrew, thank you again for being on the show and breaking all this down with me today. Uh, I believe the website is progrowtech.com. It is. Perfect. And I hope to see everyone at the Northeast Cannabis Business Conference in February 2020 in Boston. And thanks everyone again for tuning in. Until next time.